0: Hello, Curling fans, and welcome back to episode 12 of Way Inside, and indeed, the final episode of season one. I'm saying season one because when you say that, it implies there will be a season two, and I hope there will be. So I'm calling it the season finale of season one. Uh, John Cullen with you. Thrilled to be back. Thrilled to have completed this 12th episode because... It is with none other than the old bear himself, Kevin Martin. Which curler have you never played with that you would want to? Kevin Martin. Oh, shit. Kevin Martin. I like to play mixed doubles with Kevin Martin. What a dream come true for me. I'm just going to be a little bit of a of a simp here off the top of the show and just say that I had a podcast about five years ago called Stone and Straw that I started on my own independently, and uh, my white whale on that pod was always Kevin Martin. I always wanted a chance to talk to him on that podcast. I didn't really know him super well back then. You know, we played in a few tournaments together back in the day, but my team never played against his team and never was able to get in touch with him to get him on the podcast. And so funny story Uh, It was actually Kevin whose idea it was to give me this little way inside kind of offshoot of inside curling. And um, I'll tell you, when your phone rings and the caller ID says Kevin Martin on it, your first thought is am I in trouble? I don't know why Kevin Martin feels like my dad in, so, in some ways, but I could tell you when the phone lit up and Kevin Martin was there calling me just on a Thursday afternoon or whatever it was, I just thought, "Oh my god, oh my god, oh my god, I'm in, he's mad. He's mad at me. Something's going down." But no, it turned out that uh, he was just calling to see if I was interested in being a part of the inside curling family and Of course, absolutely honored and it's been a wonderful season of shows and I just couldn't think of any better way of finishing off the season than finally getting to talk to Kevin. Uh, It was a phenomenal interview. So many questions. I mean, we could have talked for four hours. We actually, the podcast got cut off because... Kevin's wife I think Shauna. we went too long she came downstairs and said Kevin stop talking you know me and Kevin could just talk forever and it was just that type of show so it's a bit of an extra long episode but hey it's the season finale it's Kevin Martin you want it I want it we all want it here we go Uh All right. I am here with the old bear, Kevin Martin, uh, the final episode of Way Inside. Thrilled to have Kevin here. Kevin, we are going to start w- the same way we start every episode with the top four. This is a lightning round. I'm going to give you a question. I just want you to give me an answer as quick as possible. You ready? Sure. As long as it's not too tough. Okay. Here we go. Question <laughs> one. Which curler have you never played with that you would want to? Wayne Madaw.
1: How's easy. Wayne and I talked about that for years. And uh, Jonathan Mead, the three of us to play in an event, and none of us ever did. Maybe we still should. Uh, it might be with sticks, but we probably could still do it.
0: That's three of my favorite curlers ever right there. We
1: talked about that at length, yeah. And one little story. So Jonathan Mead, we used to play in briars against the other all the time. And usually when you're playing against another team, you go to different dressing rooms. But Jonathan and I sat together in the same dressing room for years because we're such good friends even when we went into the playoffs to play each other
0: that's very nice true story that's very nice well, can i play lead am i can i play lead on this team if you guys don't well, want there to went steal? the ideal winning but dude, what the heck <laughs> <laughs> that's what i'm saying i think we're fine question two if all the rocks are exactly the same what color are you picking blue what's something that's considered a basic thing in curling that you struggled to learn
1: Hmm, patience, for sure. Patience.
0: Last one. How would your bitterest rival describe you? Wow.
1: How would Randy Furby describe me? Um, <laughs> it probably wouldn't be wouldn't be overly nice. In curling, off the ice, we get along really well. Actually, on the ice, so there's always some fire. Yes.
0: <laughs> Let's get Randy on the on the pod. Get Randy on the. Bring him on. I do joke with my guests sometimes. Some of them, I can tell when they're answering it, they're picturing someone in their mind, but they won't usually say who it is. So I respect that you just went right for that. I know who it is, and I know what he would say.
1: You go through the different eras. So to start with, would have been Ed Wernick. I know Ed did not think of me, much of me when I was a kid, like 1920, young, arrogant kid. We got to be great friends later, later on. So for sure, Wernick. Randy, for those three, four years in the middle around the start of the Grand Slams, yep. but then definitely the last 10, 15 years would have been Glenn Howard. But Glenn and I are like, we get along great. And it wasn't so bitter other than the battles were so close. Right. Like, you know, trying to get the Olympics, trying to get to the Worlds, trying to win Grand Slams. And guess who we have to play in the final all the time? Glenn Howard. So it got to be quite a rivalry there as well, but for different reasons, I'd say.
0: Yeah, I never felt bitter between you and Glenn. At least certainly not juxtaposed with how it was between you and Randy. Uh, well,
1: Randy had to do with the Grand Slams and the, and the boycott. That's what it, it had not not much to do with on ice.
0: Yeah, no, that's for sure. Okay, here we go. Let's get into the main part of the interview here. What would you give up to be able to bring back the mullet and mustache? <laughs> you mean to have hair again? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, that's part of it. You got to have hair you to look, have a mullet. Got, I
1: think so. Yeah, you know that that left me awful early. Ninety one, I had a full head of hair, and by ninety seven, not a thing hardly. So that's a long time ago now. I hardly remember that. Uh, so I don't think I need to worry about uh, bringing back a mullet. The stash, though, would not be something. Have the old cookie duster again.
0: I mean, I, it was one of my favorite looks. I always knew you, yeah, as you know, sort of your current look now. Maybe you had a little more up top. Seeing old photos of you was like. Opening the the gift of the magi, or so I was like, oh my god, he had a mullet and a mustache. I thought it looked incredible.
1: <laughs> back in the day, right? Oh, that's funny stuff.
0: I think you got to bring the stash back?
1: I don't think we have to go. Yeah, no, you know what? Today I was laughing because I had to make a phone call to somebody. Run through the shower within thirty seconds. I'm on the phone because
0: there's nothing to worry about. <laughs> Yeah, when was the last time you bought shampoo? (laughs) Exactly. There's just (laughs) absolutely no need
1: for any of that stuff.
0: Now, I wanted to, you know, we're going to bounce around your career here a little bit. And with you, I mean, there's just so many things I could ask about. But I want to, in this interview, kind of get into some of the bigger picture stuff. Because I think, especially with some things, you were ahead of the curve, you know, on, on a lot of where the game has ended up now in 2023. And I think... One of the first things that I always think of when I think of you and your career is, is your preparation. You know, you, everybody always knew that you were a guy, you know, you were throwing so many practice stones. You were so freakish about preparing for your opponents, rock books, all that kind of thing. When did that start for you? Because you sort of came up in an era where not a lot of teams were doing all of that kind of stuff.
1: Right. So that's a good point. As far as practice goes, I just really enjoyed practice. Uh, It wouldn't have been any different for billiards for me. I'd stay on the pool table for four or five hours in a row and it was just kind of my way of doing things. Same with the curling. If I was you know, at the Avenir Curling Club, I was making ice there. So we'd get the ice ready around, uh, by noon I was done and I would just throw rocks all afternoon till the uh, 4.30 league came on and then I'd get back out there again until the 645 league went on. So it's something that I just did through rocks most of the day. Uh, as far as matching stones and stuff, that was not me. That was Jules Ochar, my coach. So yeah. Jules started coaching me in juniors in Edmonton, and like he was the best, still the best today uh, at that. That is just some sort of a God-given talent for him to see his notebooks weren't, they're nothing computerized. It was just notebooks and he'd see people struggling, people curling very well, what rocks were they using and and that was how he was able to do that. And, uh, you know, you can credit a lot of, I think you can credit a lot of Brad Gushu's wins in the last uh, 10 years to that and a lot of ours for the last 30 before that to uh, to Jules and his ability to match curling stones. It was, it was quite, quite a feat that he would do. Um, he'd know the percentage of every rock and going into the, trials final against Mike Harris. Uh, We played the semi, I forget the color, I believe yellow were the best color. Red always had hammer and yellow won almost 60% of the curling games, if not higher, maybe 63% of the games starting without last rock. That's impossible. But that was the difference of the stones. And again, against uh, Wernick, we had yellow in the semi. I didn't have a rock under 92% for the week that the rock did. Not that I threw it, but the rocks and Eddie, there were no rocks better than 82% for the week in red. We're none. So fine, we win that game easily. We go to the final against Mike. Mike Harris smart enough to take the yellow rocks. We go through an entire red set. There's nothing better than 82. And it just yeah. puts you against a huge wall. So you know, that's the type of information that with jewels we'd have, whereas most teams didn't have that type of stuff.
0: That's crazy that you still remember that. I mean, I can't fact check your percentages, but... Uh,
1: well, they're They're right. I believe you. (laughs) Without Hammer to start, because that back then didn't draw for Hammer. Right. The team with Red Rocks had Hammer.
0: Oh, I see. So they kind of split when you had Hammer. I see. Right.
1: Yeah. You didn't get to draw or not.
0: Yeah. Were other teams like in this era, I'm, I'm talking specifically about this kind of era you're talking about in that mid 90s kind of were other teams doing this? Were they getting kind of pissed at you for doing it or making fun of you? Like, oh, you're out here in practice. You're matching all these rocks. Like, what the hell? You know, like, were you getting pushback from teams on, on some of this stuff? Well, we weren't matching them, though. Jules is just watching the game. Right. Okay
1: we weren't really out there curling, matching them after at night. We didn't do any of that because the ice surface is different. That's a waste of time. Even today, it's still not, not really very valid because the ice surface changes when it's crispy or when it's not, when it's frosty, when it's not. Right? No, this is actually just Jules watching every single game, every rock. Nobody really, I don't think anybody bugged us about that because, (laughs) because it worked. The problem is if somebody else went to try to do it, Jules did it by eye. Right. Well, who, who can do that? who has that ability, like people use computer systems now to try to do it, still not as exacting as Jules. It's it's kind of funny. The funny thing that we watch a lot is the coaches watch their own game. Right. Like they watch their game. Right. Well, you don't need to watch your game. If you're coaching somebody like uh, Brendan Botcher, well, those guys are all good enough to know the rocks they've got. Don't worry sure. about their rocks. Yeah. Watch all the other games. That's where you're getting information from. And it's kind of funny. It's the opposite. Coaches are behind taking down all kinds of information on their particular game. But Jules would be up in the crowd watching the other games. We never brought him out on our sheet, like for advice as strategy and that type of thing. He had a different role.
0: You and I have talked a little bit about this uh, before, but I, I wanted to talk about it where people can hear it. Cause I think it's really interesting. In 1992, you got to play in the, the Olympics when curling was a demonstration sport. And mm. uh, t- tell me about that experience. Like, did you feel like you were a kind of, B-rate Olympian, like how are you treated during those Olympics? Like walk us through that, because I, I think it's very interesting, you know, not too many people get an opportunity to play in a sport in a demonstration year like you did.
1: Well, uh, as far as being ready, I don't think we were. I was 24 when we won the to-go and then 25 at the time of the Olympics. it was just getting started. Eyes wide open like this, loving every second of it. So, <laughs> yeah. no, there was that I, I got nothing negative for you. It was fantastic. But where we were, uh, actually, not just us, but even hockey was in Maribel, which is top of a mountain. We were next door, Pearl on Yal love and a mountain and a community all by itself. So, there's a lot of that because all these small little areas. So, in that way, it's kind of a unique Olympics because you're sort of by yourself, but everybody was in, a, in their own Olympic villages.
0: Oh, so you didn't have, like, the one big communal kind of thing. It was, like every city sort of had its own thing.
1: Oh, not city. So Pearl was a yes, yeah, small town, Maribel, Bridal of at the bottom was skiing. And then Elberville was figure skating. And, um, so it was all sort of spread out. It was about a two hour drive from where we were to Elberville because okay. of the roads were very windy and maybe an hour and 45, but something like that. It was an awesome experience. My God, at that age to be able to do that. And we didn't win a medal. Uh, we ended up fourth, uh, lost to the U S in the bronze game. It was all, positive. We just were very young. So we were really lucky to have the opportunity to do that because the best team at that time um, in 92 was Russ Howard's team with Glenn Howard, Wayne Madaw and Peter Corner. They were sure. the best team, but we beat them in that briar and the briar was how it was decided the team would go.
0: Did you get a sense that it was going to tip into being a full Olympic sport when you were there? Did you feel like you were kind of carrying the flag for curling and you needed to have a certain level of performance to prove to the IOC that it was a sport? Or was any of that a part of the conversation?
1: Geez, I was 24.
0: No. I, <laughs> I don't care. I didn't I was know in enough. I don't, I don't know. I
1: was in France. My wife was with me. And <laughs> we're having a great time. And after the Olympics was done, we stayed in Geneva for a few days before we headed over to play the briar in uh, in 92 uh, in Regina. Um, no, we're having the time of our lives. <laughs> <So> don't <laughs> I ever, don't care. I, I was a kid. Yeah. Are you kidding? But but we were having a great time. And uh, I, I wish we would have now. Looking back, though, that U.S. bronze game, that's our biggest loss ever. Um, because I would have had, like nicotine, one of each. That would have meant a lot. Now, then at the time, of course, as a kid, you think, oh, I'll just go to the next Olympics.
0: Yeah, it cares. <laughs> oh, It'll be easy. I'll never
1: make it, whatever, yeah. <laughs> and of course, that's not the way it really works.
0: <laughs> I mean, you still did pretty good. You made it to three. I mean, that's uh, not too many people will be able to say that. You know, looking back at your sort of team history over the years, you know, you were kind of you know, you sort of had three main lineups. I mean, you know, little, you know, pieces changed here and there, but you kind of had three main lineups. And it's interesting to me, you know, looking back when, you know, when I'm doing research for this interview, the three thirds, you had Kevin Park, Don Walchuk, John Morris, all kind of very similar type of personality, sort of fiery, you know, not afraid to kind of mix it up with you a little bit. What do you think was it about kind of playing with that more headstrong third that worked so well for you?
1: Yeah, isn't that the truth? Uh, Ball three were brilliant players. Oh my goodness. Uh, Of of their time, uh, top players. And uh, John would be still, if he wasn't retired, I would imagine, or close to retired. <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know what I mean? You never know with John, he might pop back. Of course, yeah. Because he's he- definitely young enough and healthy enough. Yeah, great players, but yes, head- headstrong and willing to fight it out. And maybe that was a good thing when, especially with um, Kevin Park and Don Walchick, So I-, I was basically the youngest guy on the team during those teams. Right. So to have somebody that would kind of keep you straight, I think that was a good thing. Yeah, to be able to say, you know, that on the ice, they didn't go head to head much more off the ice where, you know, as a young person, you kind of go maybe a crazy direction and they put you back in your place. So that, that was a good thing. I think probably why, that's a great point you make, why we maybe were successful is that yeah, if it was some uh, third that would just go along with everything, maybe that's not best because uh, right. none, none of those three definitely, <laughs> they weren't just follower type people, not at all.
0: Was it something that you were aware of? You know, because I think some of the top thirds we've seen are that sort of more laid back personality. I think John Mead is a great example of one. BJ Newfeld sure. now, I think, sure. is another great example of a sort of laid back third. You know, d- was it something you were aware of? Like when you were leaving Kevin to go with Don and leaving Don to go with John, was it something you thought about that, that was something you wanted in a third, or was that even on your radar? No,
1: not in the radar at all. I never even thought about it till you just mentioned <laughs> it, actually. But no, I, I, I no, I was really after players that could shoot high percentage, right? And we knew Walchuk had already played with Pat Ryan, you know. In the 90s, almost every game. So there's no question about his ability whatsoever. Johnny Moe, he was a phenom coming up, but a junior. So there's no question there. And Kevin Park was just really, really good uh, back in the day. And we were about the same age. Kevin was a bit older than me, but not much too. Scott was the same age as me. So Kevin was one year older.
0: Yeah, no, I, it was just something I noticed. I was like, oh, that is interesting. And, and you're such a cerebral guy. I, you know, I wondered if you had thought about it. But like you said, sometimes it's just the way it works out. You just want the best player. Mm-hmm. And they all happen to maybe share a similar characteristic. And I also wanted to ask you about, and this is funny. I was just listening to Inside Curling today. And you were talking to Ben and Mark uh, about this mm-hmm. kind of exact thing. But you know, I, I think a lot of people, when they think of you, obviously, they think of all of your accomplishments. But I think they also think of you as sort of the guy or one of the main people who sort of got the idea of the quote unquote business of curling kind of going, you know, that you had always sort of approached it as more like it's a sport, but it's also a business and we need to make money doing this thing. When did that start for you? I mean, even putting aside the world curling tour stuff, like when did you start to really think about like this has to be a, a business proposition as well as a sport?
1: You know, I ran across Lorraine Quatero, who turned out to be our publicist starting in. I'd like to say 98. I think I met her in uh, at, uh, she was working for IMG Canada um, in 98. met her there and she loved curling. Um, Didn't curl a lot herself, but loved curling. And was really a brilliant PR person. So kind of talked to her and that's where we started to do so much brand building. And I didn't even get an agent until 2001. So there was three years there where there was, was no brand to sell. Right. Or there was a brand, but not a, you know what I mean? Not big enough brand to sell. Sure. A lot of curling teams, they hire the agent first and then worry about the PR person. That's backwards. You've got to build your brand first before you hire somebody to sell it. Yeah. And so we would hit all the, I don't know, is breakfast television still a thing?
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is okay. that still a thing? Yeah, there it's used still to
1: thing. Be there used to be five of those across Canada.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now there's only one, I think, in, in Toronto. Okay,
1: but there used to be five. We'd always we, every year we'd hit all five of those. Every time we come to Toronto, we Canada AM would be first, and then uh, what was it? Uh, CBC Morning News, and then so on, so on, so on. We would go the whole day. Um, there was a news show CP24, I believe, is the station. Yeah. It was at noon. I can't remember uh, the fellow's name, but anyways, it was always this, you know the same group, and we did it city after city after city all over the place. And we did kids shows, uh, much music, all kinds of, of, of shows to, to build the brand. And we did it for years and years and years. So that's something nobody else, they actually, not many people st- really do, do it yet. Yeah. No. no. And, and and that was Lorraine who did that. So, she, and we still work together even, even today, nice. um, all these years later. So it's uh, 25 years now, I guess. But anyway, um, that's kind of how that started, I think. It's funny, you know, you ask about rock match. Well, that was Jules. You ask about, oh, you know, <laughs> you know your brand was bit. Well, that was Lorraine. And, you yeah. know, um, circle yourself with really smart people in all these different areas can make a difference. And um, it was a lot of hard work, though, John, to, sure. to, yeah, to, of course. to do these, you know, fly a day extra in. And you're not getting paid for it. You're building your brand. I guess you do eventually somewhere down the line. But at the time, you certainly don't. But it makes a difference long term. And that's something where I think a lot of people... They're trying to get the reward first and the hard work after, whereas sometimes you have to do the work first.
0: For sure. And I'm, I'm curious, like, did you face because, you know, like you said, even to this day, 2023, I think there is still a humility in our sport where people are afraid to think of themselves or their team as a brand or, or a business or a branding exercise. Were you getting any backlash from other teams, from teammates, were people making fun of you? Oh, look, there's Kevin on Much Music again or whatever. Or was any of that happening?
1: No, (laughs) I don't think so. (laughs) And maybe they're kind of questioning it at the start, but within a couple of years, I don't think there's much question anymore because uh, the amount of airtime and newspaper time we were getting now, Lorraine, every quarter would send a quarterly uh, advertising value reports to all of our sponsors. Now I think some of the, some of the teams do, I, I shouldn't say, but I think some of them do that, yep, for sure. um, but that was, we're going all the way back to the late nineties here and, and, and to have a company be able to have their marketing person stand up in front of the board and say, uh, so that Martin sponsorship versus whatever other things they're sponsoring, what's the, how is it going? Well, boom, 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 boom. We're giving them this, but the ad revenue is worth this. Oh, oh well, that makes sense. Okay, carry on. And that was every every quarter for all those years. Our uh, sponsors got quarterly reports of value advert value. At the start, of course, it was newspaper, television, and radio. And over time, it evolved into you know hits and and impressions and internet and and social media. Yeah, of course, but just changes over time. But the business model is still the same. Yeah, you have to prove to your sponsor your value is not. Well, they did good. They got to a final a semi and a quarter and this and that and well
0: what does that mean?
1: <laughs> it means yeah. nothing. Right. It means nothing. And good for you. What's it mean in my in money, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, no fair. Why'd you have such a hard time with Paya? Yeah.
1: For <laughs> he uh I don't know. Well we didn't at the start. <laughs> I remember we played him in the ninety four uh players' championship in Calgary, and after we beat him in the semi, it wasn't a very close game, he came up to me and said we're not, we're not good enough yet. We're not good enough yet, but we will be. And I remember that. And that was in 94. That's ballsy. I like that. We won most of the time, I would say, up until he had a five-game winning streak against us, up until we played him in the semifinal of the 0-2 Olympics. And he'd beaten us the five previous games. And uh, he had an outturn blast for four. He would have won the game if he made it. It had to be around half rock, maybe a little thinner and he turned it a bit and hit it a little bit thick, missed that shot, and that broke the five-game streak. But if he makes out when he beats us again. It would have been six in a row, and he would have knocked us into the bronze game, but he missed it.
0: Yeah, it was just, you know, I think when I think of the accomplishments, and you had such long runs of kicking the crap out of teams, and if they did beat you, it wasn't that often. So to get on a five-game losing streak, I mean, that might, he might have been the only skip that ever could say that, that he had a five-game winning streak against you.
1: Yeah, I don't. Know. I remember it clearly. So there <laughs> yeah. wasn't a lot of them. A really, really good player for for a certain amount of years in there. Pay and his team were just incredible.
0: And I also heard that uh, you actually got chirped by uh, the Sedin twins about uh, Pea's uh, <laughs> We did. Success. We did on the
1: ice at the... Uh, I, I think I must have been dropping the puck or something at an Oiler game. Yeah. And uh, and they were playing against them. I forget. I was in the corner. It couldn't have been a drop puck. I forget what I was doing out there on the ice. But yes, <laughs> one of the twins... Uh, you're not as good as Peya, or Peya's better than you, or something like that. That was perfect. Uh, that was funny.
0: I just, uh, I, I loved it. Like uh, when I heard that story, I loved it because I just love the idea that the Sidians are into curling, maybe a little bit. It's pretty good. Pretty good. That was
1: really funny, actually. I appreciate that, too. That was really good. <laughs>
0: now uh kevin we like to split up the interview with a segment we call dirty laundry this is where i uh kind of dig up some dirt about you and um you
1: wouldn't have had to dig
0: far <laughs> <laughs> well they, you you did leave some shallow graves out there but uh, i did want to know there was a particular tournament a uh, bond in saskatoon where your back went out uh you ah, you know it was like yes. in, the, in the middle of a semifinal, i believe your back went out and so my question is uh how did it feel to get undressed by ben hebert
1: uh, so that was at the Nutana Curling Club. I don't know the event. Um, we were playing against Brad Jacobs. And I had to throw a really hard takeout and threw it. And we got got a deuce, I believe, at the end of that shot. But I don't remember because my back completely went out. <laughs> Luckily, at uh, the next sheet was Pat Simmons, who's a Cairo. Yeah, He came over and they had to kind of almost carry me inside. I couldn't move. Like, it was awful. And he actually did a treatment on me within a few seconds, which I think helped a lot. But uh, yeah, that's that's a good one. It was, uh, holy cow, that was a, we couldn't do a darn thing and and then the worst part, we ended up winning that game, which meant they the team went to the final. I had to sit in the lobby taking drugs and then we had to drive i didn't have a flight we drove back to edmonton and then of course you sit in the car in one spot for that long oh man i could i was like a piece of plywood i couldn't move a bit
0: yeah i heard it was a bit of an awkward uh, situation with uh, dave netto and ben hebert kind of carrying you off the ice into the dressing room
1: that's absolutely true carrying me off the ice and dave carrying me into my house at the other end in edmonton because i couldn't walk <laughs>
0: Now that's a good teammate right there. That's a true uh, story. That is a true, a true good teammate that will carry you into your home after a bond (laughs) spiel is over. Although I'm sure given, you know, you came up in in this sort of hard partying era, you may have gotten carried into your home by a few other curlers for a different reason. Or carried a few. Yeah. Yeah, Well that too. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Now, uh, my next uh, question is, have you ever, uh, figured out that, uh, Bill Todd Hunter's name is actually Bill? Oh, isn't that funny?
1: Yeah. I called him, the I don't know how many years I would have called him by the wrong name.
0: Yeah, you called him Todd, I heard. I thought, you heard his, you thought his name was Todd Hunter.
1: For years. Yeah. Todd Hunter. So I called him Todd, I guess. You know, I finally, I finally found out the real truth, like what his name was. And uh, so I gave him heck. Like, well, why wouldn't you clear it? Ah, it was just something you called me. It was fine. That's <laughs> so all those years I called him the wrong name. I mean, we got to be really good friends. He was a really good umpire. In ball. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And of course, I coached ball for six years, and that's what my uh, both daughters played ball at a high level. So, yeah. We got to be really good friends, but even then, I still thought he was Todd.
0: <laughs> Todd Hunter. Yeah. I loved I loved that story uh, and just that like nobody told you. Everybody was nope. like, "Oh, Kevin keeps calling him Todd, and we're just gonna <laughs> let him do it. We don't care." Everybody
1: did for years and years. <laughs> I don't even know how it got cleared up. I must have figured it out by maybe he was umpiring something. And I said, "What the what the what's the bill about?
0: <laughs> yeah, wh- where'd that come from? That's yeah. your name's Todd, man. Shut yeah. up. Uh, that <laughs> That's funny. awesome. Well, let's get back to business here. And I, I was curious." You know, do you still think about 2002 a lot? I I think that, you know, people would say, oh, you won the gold in 2010. You exercised those demons. But is it still does it still bug you on any kind of regular basis?
1: Not really. I think it probably would have if it wasn't for 2010. Yeah, Okay. Certainly the game that bugs me more is the bronze game in 92. Yeah. No question. Yeah, I think that's probably the biggest one. There was a few. Uh, fairly good chances for the 18th slam too. It took me two and a half years to get that 18th slam. Man, that bothered me a lot. Now would have bothered me more had I not got the 18th slam to tie Jack Nicholas. But we got it, so then those uh, those pains tend, those toothaches tend to go away a little bit.
0: So, do you have a specific, I guess, regret about 1992 then? Because. You know, I think we, we learned a lot about it with with Team Guju this year or last year, I guess. Now, God, I mean, you know, the time is a flat circle, uh, you know, with them going out, winning the bronze and, and Mark Kennedy sort of being instrumental and in, say, you know, they lost the bronze medal game uh, the Olympics before to Switzerland. And that really weighed on Mark. And, you know, was it a case of you just maybe not being in a mental state to play that bronze game in
1: 92? Yeah, well, youth. I think that would be part of it. I think we were good, but we weren't seasoned yet, you know? And when it comes to winning things at the grand slam world or Olympic level, it helps as you get a little older, <laughs> it really yeah. does, you know, but it does. And that's just, that's just, is just the way it is. And as you get older, you, you come across more situations and, and uh, you get better at handling things. And, but uh, yeah, I, you know, obviously that's a big loss because I'd love to have one of each of those medals.
0: I guess you'll have to get back in. I guess you'll, there's no choice, Kevin. You're just going to have to go and get a bronze now.
1: That's what dad, my dad said in uh, 2013, <laughs> I was playing really well at the trials in, uh, in 13, I was the last trials yes, and uh, he said, yeah, kid, you've got to, got to win this one and get back to the Olympics and get that bronze.
0: <laughs> yeah, who cares about winning a gold for Canada? Get that one, dad, complete set. Dad, if
1: we do manage to get back here, I'm not going to be after the bronze, but but, but good point, good point.
0: <laughs> if I get it, I won't be too upset. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, I, I keep asking you about the sort of formation of things uh, over the course of your career, but it is genuinely curious to me. You know, I, you've talked a lot about forming the World Curling Tour and the Grand Slam circuit and all of that, so I, I don't need to get into all of that nitty-gritty with you but i was curious as to how long those sorts of things were festering with curling canada like at at what point were you sort of like okay it's a little ridiculous we're not getting paid for the briar whatever like how how long of a lead up was it for you before all the wct stuff happened
1: just to be clear though the world curling tour existed before me sure yes, that was that was owned and operated by uh, arnold asham and uh Jim Fergale, Ed Lukwicz, a group of guys started that in the early 90s. So I had nothing to do with that at all. Um, the idea uh, was in 1995, starting a, a curling event with a guy by the name of Al Clauston at the West Edmonton Mall, um, a cash event. And we sold all the, t- it's, it sold out, the sponsorships, it was terrific. So then at the end of that, we brought Bill, Wild Bill Hunter on as a partner. And uh, to expand into Saskatoon to have the Flexicoil event in Sass Place. Before that even happened, Bill Bill and L bought me out of the company because it was conflict of interest, me curling in the events and owning right. them, which they're right. Sure. So, so, so anyway, so I was out of that company. It was all good, and we curled in those events. It was great. What that showed me is that curling for money on television was a good idea, like it would work. <laughs> sure, yeah. Nobody else had done that before, really. They had touched it a little bit with the Players' Championship in Calgary, but that was in a curling club, a little bit different. This was actually going into big arenas, full event where you have to, you know, the seats and and worrying about uh, contracts with food, beverage, so on and so on. Uh, anyway, so uh, they went well. Uh, unfortunately, Bill got cancer, uh, you know, a uh, uh, boat in somewhere around 97, 90, late to 96. So that kind of ended that. But that's where um, the idea, uh, if you want to call it festering, uh, kind of all happened at the same time, John. So you got the 97 Briar in Calgary with 18,100 fans in the crowd and the players getting basically nothing. Okay. Wait a minute. I cannot, my calculator works. I can add this up. This is, this, is, <laughs> yeah. this doesn't make any sense. There's gotta be some sort of revenue share, um, not prize money, but a revenue share. And depending on, on the type of show you put on, you benefit as an athlete. Makes sure. sense. Yep. With that um, exercise, trying to get that done and then knowing that the, the, the whole idea of, of putting on cash events in front of crowd on TV made sense. That sort of got the one side going the Grand Slam idea and on the other side, trying to negotiate with uh, Curling Canada. And that's where that boycott happened because they didn't like the idea of revenue share. Why would you? If you can keep it all yourself, that's a good idea. Sure. But if the rocks don't move, entertainment value drops. So there's always that negotiation and it just hadn't happened before. So we were willing to negotiate and actually go further than that. We were willing to boycott the the briar for uh, as long as it took. And it didn't take long because <laughs> the ratings <laughs> dropped immediately right to the floor.
0: Were you having sort of deep conversations with Curling Canada about this? Or were they always just somewhat dismissive? Like, look, we're, we put on the briar, we take the money, screw you.
1: We had one big meeting um, in 19, I'd like to say late 97, but it might have been early 98 that didn't go well no so uh, <laughs> it was time to just uh, force the issue and that's exactly what we did
0: yeah no it obviously had a huge impact on 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 curling's history for sure and and we talked earlier about Randy Furby you and him kind of butted heads over uh, over this kind of thing and and really you know was one of the biggest rivalries uh, ever in the history of curling and and you said you know you're friends with Randy off the ice so why do you think it kind of bled onto the ice, you know, when you guys played each other? and you know it was
1: there wasn't many years there, so it was, it was sort of it was very uh, high volume because of the boycott, so we we, we didn't play in playdowns, uh, but they were still allowed to play in the slams, um, which did win a couple. So that was kind of where that was. It wasn't for very long, like uh, I guess it would have started in about 2001, something like that, um, but then by about jeez oh six or something Stoughton sort of took over that role of playing against us in most of the finals. So it was a kind of a short window there, but, but you're right. It was pretty extreme because of all the fighting and.
0: And he wasn't bringing like, you guys weren't talking about this off the ice. Like you, you always kind of maintained a decent relationship off the ice.
1: Yeah, and there's no, not much. No, actually, uh, off the, I would say almost none. Uh, he'd say the same, I'm sure. Huh. But it was, but two different ways of looking at sport, I suppose. I don't exactly know why it turned out really good in the end. Because the Grand Slams are still a strong property and, and, and good that, you know, somebody as big as Sportsnet owns it, which is fantastic.
0: Yeah, and, and people make money at the Briar, which is also good too. Yeah, it went away from rev share to into prize
1: money, and um, which is interesting, because I kind of thought that was a really good idea. Depending on the the level of performance and the level of entertainment, you get paid...
0: Sure, uh,
1: on a on a moving scale, which I thought was a really good idea. But anyway, anyway, it's all good. Yeah, it's still good. Uh,
0: usually, the entertainer does feel like rev share is a good idea, and usually, <laughs> the person who owns the property doesn't think it's a good idea. As a comedian, I can tell you, Kevin, that is not a uh, an experience specific to curling. That is a pretty uh, <laughs> that's a pretty universal a uh, feeling for sure. I wanted to talk now about uh, you know the 2006 lineup. Uh, you know, some you know, that you come together with John Morris and. Mark Kennedy and Ben Hebert. And, you know, a lot of people think that's the, the greatest team of all time. And I, I've talked to John on, on my previous podcast, Stone and Straw, before about it. I'm curious in, in your sort of telling of it, how did that team kind of come together? Because as you said, for most of your career, you were the young guy on, on all of your teams. And now all of a sudden you were not only the old guy, but you were quite older than all three of them. It wasn't sort of a, an even balance as it was. How did that team kind of come together in, in your view?
1: Well, the idea of it um, was with Walchuck and, and Bartlett getting old and ready to retire, which is no problem at all. And then Carter was just, Carter Rycroft, great friend and a really good curler. He was really tied up in business. Um, a really smart businessman, has done very well for himself, which is great. Um, but he you know, come on the ice with, for practice with two phones, right. one for each company, and like, holy cow. So at the end of the, trying to get the the 06 Olympics, in, uh, in Italy, I just kind of felt that the game was sort of moving younger, younger and, and fitter, um, which I guess we kind of caused a bit in 2000, 2001, trying to get to the O2 Olympics. And with that, there's this brilliant young player, John Morris, And the first thing to do is try to get him interested and onto the team because he was out of Ottawa. And uh, so we got him. Through sponsorship and all kinds of things, got him on side. <laughs> Great. All right.
0: What kinds of things, Kevin? Exactly. So when you got, so we got
1: John on side. That's perfect. So now, who's the front end going to be? And Mark Kennedy had curled with John. John really liked Mark, and and him being a left hander and uh, sweeping uh, right arm down, so that his slider uh, was in front. Yeah. So you could yeah. you could sweep that so way. Two
0: slider uh, sweepers.
1: Well, one because we will not have a fourth player yet. So, right, so you got Mark Kennedy. So now we've got the three of us and who we're going to get. And Mark mentioned this guy out of Saskatchewan by the name of Ben Hebert, who had, he had played quarterback against. They were both quarterbacks, one with the Huskies and one with the Rams out of, uh, out of Saskatchewan. Anyway, Ben was with the Rams and Mark was with the Huskies. Anyway, good athletes. Ben at the time had curled with Pat uh, Simmons in the, in the last bar. And I watched him and like he's okay, but not, not a real strong player, not a real strong curler. But a really strong person, muscle wise. Yeah, sure. Like yeah. He was a, he's a beast yeah. um, and incredible fitness. So I agreed to bring him in for a tryout and uh, obviously got Ben on the team. And And he was the opposite. He was a right handed guy, left hand down, probably because of all of his hockey. So then he had his slider front side as well. And they got to be extremely powerful closed sweepers and really revolutionized, I'd say, they revolutionized the sweeping part of the game. Like they were they were so powerful both of them on on each side and john being john who's you know if he was focused on an event there's nobody better and so yeah i, I believe that team was probably i can't think of a team stronger in in all aspects because we, you know won so much when it comes to the uh, grand slam and and tour events like we had a couple of stints of like mid 30 wins in a row the olympic year 2010 um the first slam we went 1 and 4 or something we hadn't thrown a rock since the trials the next slam was right before we left for the olympics went undefeated went undefeated at the olympics and then never lost another game for the entire year we went undefeated for the season sure. so that was that was kind of team it was when we got rolling it was, it was it was a tough team to beat
0: yeah no question about it and i'm i'm curious so you talked about carter and when i spoke to john before and and mark uh, actually about this you sort of said carter was leaning business You know, I sort of heard, though, he was in the mix, you know, that he was still in consideration to be on the team. And it was sort of John that was pulling more for Mark. You know, how tough was that phone call uh, with Carter?
1: Uh, Not a phone call. No, no. I met Carter and and the Dons in person at my house. Yeah, no, no, no phone call. No eye to eye.
0: Okay. How hard was that meeting? Sorry. to. Yeah, that's
1: a tough meeting. Absolutely. Um, But it's a very necessary meeting. So, uh, yeah, if you think over the years, um, players, it changed. I'm trying to think of a time where it wasn't a personal meeting, but I can't think of one. It was always eye to eye, handshake at the end.
0: Fair. No, I. Sorry, I didn't. I wasn't trying to like break a scoop that you did it over the phone or anything. I just, you know,
1: it is business decisions. You know, they're 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 important decisions to make if you're going to try to continue to win and um, and uh, yeah, and they're not easy decisions. And that's where you know I've talked lots about having curling teams owned. And, and managed. And that way, the general manager would be the person who would do these things, yeah. not one of the players. It's, it's, as the sport continues to grow, I definitely see curling teams like curling clubs that have a brand name attached to them.
0: Yeah, it's what they do in Japan, right?
1: You're, you're owned, and, uh, and then you have a general manager, probably a president, if you depend on the size of your brand and your business you would have a sales force behind you to sell sponsorships, not have the skip in the third and meet with somebody saying, hey, want to sponsor us, <laughs> right? It'd yeah. be more of a, on a professional basis.
0: And now uh, you talk about Benny, and, and I think, you know, it's it's fun to hear you kind of being honest about uh, him coming onto the team. And and both John and Mark told me a great story uh, on my podcast about a specific practice where you were very direct with Ben about his, uh, his curling delivery. Mm-hmm. Can you confirm that that story is true? And can you also tell that story <laughs> if it is? Yeah,
1: I, I, I tell the story at, when I speak at banquets. I tell the story quite a lot because it's really good. Um, <laughs> it's true. And that's the tryout that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. That uh, Ben was, uh, you know, coming to a tryout. Now, John, um, he always sl- would slide with his broom on the ice, like the entire broom on the ice. Yeah. And and the problem with that is that to try to keep your shoulders from not dropping the, the, the right one because, of course, you've got to reach all the way down to the ice. But John's got you know, four-foot arms, so he could do it at least somewhat. It did still kind of bothers intern, but I digress. Anyway, um, but when it came to Ben, um, he's got alligator arms, right? Like he's got these little they're, – they're thick, but they're short. And if he's sliding, it would really, it would really messed up his intern. So I, I basically, yeah, it's Ben, so you want to be on the team. Well, um we can't be throwing the rock like that. And so get the broom across to the smaller back and throw the rock. He's never thrown it again with it on the ice ever since that practice <laughs> whenever that was in uh, at the, I was at the Savile Center in Edmonton. And uh yeah, and he became uh, arguably there's a few really good Neil Harrison would be in the on the list and Fred Story, uh Don Bartlett Um, Jeff Walker there's some there's some leads that you have to say you know best in the world but Ben Hebert's got to be on a real short list of best ever and you know I think that had a lot to do with it he he wouldn't have got there with his body makeup and with the broom on the ice. Wouldn't have happened.
0: And was he, he was a little resistant at first, I I hear.
1: Not really, because it was a choice of either go back (laughs) to Regina or or change. Because there was no negotiation. It was no negotiation. (laughs) No. He has a body type that can't throw that way. John Morris could get away with it because of just the way he was built. Really, really long arms, right?
0: (laughs) That's great. I love it. And then the other (laughs) story I heard about that team is that uh, actually uh, when that team started, you were hurt and uh, you had a hip injury. And, and the <laughs> so Mark was telling me this, I, you know, I don't want to necessarily air everything, but Mark it's told likely, me it's likely true. Yeah. But. Yeah. Uh, Mark told me that uh, basically, you know, they, they sign on to, you know, oh, we're going to play with the old bear, you know, and then, and then you come out and you, you let it go at the top of the house and you can barely throw control weight because your hips hurt. And he said, all three of them were like, what the hell are we getting ourselves into
1: I actually that takeout didn't get to the top ring. I actually came light. It was supposed to be kind of a ha- a hack weight out turn. This was in Bonnyville, Alberta yeah, is okay. where we were. Yeah. And uh yeah, I was playing a hack waiter and just got past the guard and that's when Mark and Ben looked at you like,
0: "Oh, what have we done?" <laughs>
1: But oh, yeah. Oh, that, that hurt a lot back then. That, that yeah. My hip was a rather uh, tender at that point.
0: Well, he said that, uh, yeah, your hip was hurt and they were worried about you. And then you won 24 of your first 25 games. and They're like, <laughs> oh, well, I guess we're okay. You know, if we can do this without being able to throw hack weight, we're probably fine.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had a good run at the start. It was, a, it was a long run. It was the first couple, three months where we didn't lose a game. Yeah, amazing.
0: Uh, now, you know, I, I talked to John about this uh, on on my podcast, and, and, you know, he said that the biggest regret of his curling career is the way that that team ended, you know, that it, you know, you sort of had that last year when you played with Dave Nettowin, John left the team, and he said, you know, it's something to the effect of you don't know the good times when you're in them, and he maybe threw away at least one more year of the good times. Do you share any regrets about how that team ended?
1: Not really. Um, it didn't have anything to do with us. Right. Um, no, that was a John decision. But you know, one thing about John is that I I said earlier just a few minutes ago that when he was focused on something like was focused on an event, nobody better. But I said when he was focused on an event and there was a time where he had other things going on in his life and it was hard for him to focus. And I, you know, that was part of it. Um, but that's, that's just his personality. There's nothing negative to that. That's just, that's just John. Um, at that Olympics in Vancouver, he was unbelievable. Oh, like he yeah. was so focused, you know, he was he was the MVP of the entire thing. So, so that you know, that being said, now going forward to 2013 or 2012, 13, yep. like uh, he was not, uh, he wasn't out when he was on the ice. He wasn't on the ice. So <laughs> you know, that that's, that's the way it goes. So uh, yeah, he decided to uh, move on and and do other things too. He was pretty. He was getting busy with other stuff other than curling at that point, which is good. I have no regrets about that at all. It's just, it's too bad. Can't imagine if, you know, if John would have got focused like he was going into 2010, if he did that in 2013, because the trials in 13, that's as good as I've played yeah um, in my life, that, that trials and Mark Kennedy was, and him and Ben were. Spot on at that time. So to have John in there would have been uh, probably overwhelming for somebody to beat us at that time.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that's been echoed by both John and Mark. I think that is another sort of regret they had—not regret, but just yeah—that it was too bad that. And obviously, John was playing great at the 2013 trials. Yeah. Cause well, he got
1: focused trying. Yeah, he got focused trying to beat us.
0: Right. Took Jim Cotter to the finals. So um, yeah, I, I think you know people. Definitely would probably look back on that and go, geez, maybe you would have had a chance, Kevin, to get your, uh, your bronze medal in, uh, <laughs> in Sochi. Well, but, uh, well
1: said. Well <laughs> said. Yeah. My uh, dad
0: would have been happy with that. I'm curious. You went to the World Championships four times. You won one gold. You're on the podium most of the time. But why do you think the World Championships sort of proved uh, to be a difficult tournament for you to win? Because you, you kind of dominated everything else, really.
1: Yeah, well, Pale Lindholm would be a good one in 97, <laughs> yeah. um, I can say that. Um, probably not ready to win in 91, I was 24 at the time or something, so just getting on to it, lost the final to David Smith. And then 08, uh, 09, uh, David, good player, and we came close to winning that one. That one though, if um, looking in the rear view mirror now, that might have been a godsend because um, we win '08 and 09, we go undefeated at the Briars and then win both worlds. I'm not sure how hungry would we have been in Vancouver, probably still hungry, but losing that 0-9, that's a stinger. And then, so we were major focused in 2010 and went undefeated at that Olympics. So looking back now and, and, you know, you have a clear view, you go, that might've been a really good loss.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Interesting question. Yeah. I don't know the answer. Of course, human nature says maybe not quite. And would that have made a difference at the Olympics? Maybe.
0: Yeah, totally. No, I, Mark told me the same thing uh, when, he, when he talked about the loss in 09. And, and I think the way you lost too, and we don't need to relitigate that, but I think that probably had something to do with it also. Mm-hmm. That would have been so fun. What an idiot.
1: You know, I had <laughs> I had such an easy shot to win, right? And it was so perfect because you throw the rock away, it's great because there's going to be lots of people thinking blah, blah, blah. You know, they don't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and uh, And then I have an easy shot. Anything half rock or less, we win. And I knows it. Like, are you kidding me?
0: Yeah, you would have been. People would have thought you were a mad genius. We would have seen people in the years after throwing rocks away for no reason. Unreal. Just because they and saw you. It's Such a simple doing.
1: shot to win. You know, it's just oh, you know, some things you have a plan and it doesn't
0: work out sometimes. <laughs> That's true. That's been the story of most of my, that's the title of my autobiography, actually. Um, now, last question. And, and I think, you know, you've probably thought about this a little bit. You've been removed from the game now for a decade, which is, which is crazy to think about. Um, what do you hope your legacy is? Not what do you think it is, but what do you hope it is over the course of your career? How do you hope people remember you and, and your part in the game?
1: Yeah, well, from an on ice standpoint, the hard work, I think the work ethic was sort of leading the pack way back then. You've got people like Brad Gushu and Nicodine and, and uh, Silvana Taranzoni for that matter, um, who have worked really, really hard and have, have done very, very well with all the hard work. But I think being recognized as kind of starting that that crazy work ethic, I think is a good thing. The Growth of the sport, that was not easy to keep 18 of the top 20 teams believing in something that didn't exist. That was not easy. That was a lot of incredible work. So, you know, those are the types of things where, you know, the winning and losing, there's lots of, you know, there's going to be lots of records broke, you know, and, and that's, that's a good thing. I loved curling, like playing the games and winning stuff. Loved it. 18 grand slams. That's a good one. That's a tough goal for somebody to meet. But as far as the growth of the game, I think that's it. And the work ethic, I definitely think that's important because that's kind of changed the way a lot of uh, athletes do their, if you want to call it business.
0: You already have shown throughout this interview, you still have a very keen mind for the details of your career, but we'll see how well you do as I ask you to play very difficult own career trivia. Oh boy. I might fail miserably. (laughs) This is going to be five questions about your own career. The current record is three out of five. That's the uh, okay. that's the person Mark at the top Kennedy. of the mountain. So yeah, Mark is tied. There's a lot of people tied yep. at, at three. So well, we'll Mark's see. got a lot, a lot of useless information in there. <laughs> I know that. So That's why I thought he'd be he'd be the top. Well, we'll see how much useless information you have. And this is a very hard <laughs> quiz to write because there's just so many little nuggets of your uh, mm-hmm. you know of your career I could pull out, but. Here's where we're going to start. I, a lot of people remember their first game at their first Briar. So in the 1991 Briar, you defeated the Yukon and Northwest Territories 9-1. to The skip of that team was Chuck Haynes. Name any of the other three players.
1: Wow. Trevor Alexander.
0: Oh, so close. No, he was, I think he was the fifth, actually, Trevor Alexander. He was the fifth. I know he was there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, he was I the think fifth. he was the fifth. Ah, he would have
1: probably played a game or two. Yeah.
0: Might be arguable. No, the fifth That's was Lionel one. Stokes. So uh, Lionel Stokes. Yeah, okay. yeah. The uh, sorry, the the three answers we were looking for were Malcolm Florence, Craig Craig Tooten, <laughs> and okay. Doug Bryant.
1: Wow. So I
0: I didn't know. I wanted to. I just that was definitely one of the hardest questions I've ever asked on the show. I just wanted to see if you had a real a real freak memory for it. At the 1995 Briar, you finished in a three way tie for third place with a seven and four record. Which two teams were you tied with
1: Uh, Ed Wernick and Rick Folk?
0: No, you were not what? tied with Rick Folk. No, Rick Folk was already in the playoffs, man. He was long gone. No, you were tied with Ed Warenick is right. Yeah, We played Warenick because I had a rock
1: pulled on a guard, an intern guard. Yep. And they had a replay and I'd let go about three to four feet. So I actually had the line judge removed. I wouldn't continue <laughs> to play. Really? If the uh, line judge continued on, so they replaced him. <laughs> and I was against Ed Warenick and I was yes. an intern guard. Yeah. I Who's love that. Who the other team? So, Burtnick so there was Burtnick and Height. They played in the final.
0: Rick Folk went six and five. Al Hackner went six and five. Bruce Lonis went five and six. But the surprise... We were seven and four. You were seven and four. So was Ed Wernick, and so was... Wait, oh, wait, hang on. 1995, Rick Lang. It was not Rick Lang. No, he was on Al Hackner's team. It was... Uh, it was Robert Campbell from PEI. PEI, was it? It was PEI. I don't recall that.
1: Well sorry about that, Robert. <laughs> I don't recall that that tie. But I remember the wearing it game really well we must have played Rick Folkton in the last round robin game yeah we played be- him right before you because did. we didn't
0: you beat him nine we- to three in the last round robin game
1: oh, okay and I thought that was must yeah. have been a second so tiebreaker
0: Warenick we- and Campbell played a tiebreaker and then you played Warenick in the 3-4 game because ah, you had the so tiebreaker so it was Rick
1: Folk the game before but not a tiebreaker it was the last round robin and the reason I remember that is because we didn't throw any rocks before the game in either game because the ice was very heavy and Rick couldn't throw it very hard and neither could Eddie. So we didn't practice. And what they did during their break, Kawaja took uh, four rocks into his broom and just ran around the ice, like like uh, running the rocks to keen the no. ice up. Yeah. And they let him and, do that? Well, yeah. They just Yeah, we didn't practice. So they tried to break the pebble in any way they could. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Rick Folk, uh, we didn't practice for him either because, uh, it was so hard because Rick's knees by then weren't great. And, uh,
0: well, Rick never had the, never really threw like a ton of weight, you know? No, nope. like, And so. it
1: was really tough. And so, uh, yeah, those games were oh, really man, very fair. That is Just unbelievable. Start, yeah.
0: How do you decide yeah. not to take a practice? Like, when does that first? You didn't
1: want to the ice then. Well, no,
0: I know. But like, when did you start thinking about that? Like, that is hilarious. That is some mad genius shit, Kev. I love that. We're not practicing because Rick Folk can't throw the. Rock hard and
1: it, and Wernick, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that, that's why I thought it was Rick Folkin and Wernick because we played Rick before. Oh. And, but I thought it was a tiebreaker. God, that rocks! Sorry,
0: that's a great story. Don't be sorry. That it's was the, good, one of the. That's one of the best stories story. I've ever heard on this entire podcast. I couldn't even imagine. I mean, obviously the ice is too good now, but I just couldn't even imagine a team not taking their practice and people being like, Why aren't they practicing? Did yeah, people really know that's why you were doing it? Like were other teams. Oh, I'm sure not. I'm sure. No. Oh, okay. oh, other teams? Yeah. Oh yeah. But the people in the crowd probably <clears throat> Oh yeah. They must it. have been no. so confused. Well, what's oh, going on? Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it was
1: just the ice was very heavy, yeah. It must have been ninety one when we played Rick Lang then. Somebody had opened the back door of the building to bring in food or something for a banquet or something. And it let in all the humidity and if we lose that game, we're in a tiebreaker out and Rick Lang is in, but if we win the game, we had second place at seven and four behind uh, Randy Wojtowicz at 10 and one.
0: That's exactly right. And
1: then, so the door opens up and the ice gets extremely heavy. But back then that was with Kay Park and Dan Petrick and Don Bartlett, we all would throw hundred mile an hour. So it was no problem. And so he took three, a good, stole five or something. The game was over quick because they couldn't throw a hit. It's hilarious. That was Rick Lang. That was 91, though, in Hamilton.
0: It was. Do you remember who you played in the semifinal?
1: Semifinal was Jerry Kent out of BC. That's right. Jerry Kent out of BC. it was funny. The rock was in the back corner. Um, Theirs or ours. And there was one up front. And we had it by like an inch. And we had one rock to go in. And I remember um, against Stoughton, we had got a deuce first end through the first rock through in the second end and just peeled out the game. Because there was no four rock three sure, rock rule yeah, then, yeah, yeah. so the game was over and
0: boo uh, boo.
1: Anyway, so then we get into the semi, and and we're not popular. This is the Ontario crowd, sure. And uh, and back to Ed Wernick's point, I was kind of a young arrogant young person, and uh, so so not not real popular with the crowd. But we've won the game. Game's over. I'm not throwing my rock. So I go to shake hands with the other team. Nope, they don't. want, No, nope, no, nope, no, nope, no, nope. uh What? But 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 but. Like, like so I go to the other end. And I just bring the rock down in my feet. I don't throw it at all. I just bring, I just kick it down. And the crowd, Bow!
0: Bow! <laughs> Anyway, that was Jerry Canton. i Brian,
1: Brian Collison
0: and Tom Shipitka. Yeah, Tom Shipitka. Yeah. Who knew that trivia was going to bring better stories than me trying to find <laughs> dirt on you. This is incredible. Tom Shipitka, also fun fact. I think he might be the only guy who's been to a briar right-handed and left-handed. I don't know if you know about that, but he when you would have played him in 1991, he would have been right-handed, and then he had an injury, and he re-taught himself how to play the game left-handed, and then he went to the briar with Jeff Richard in... God, I want to say that was probably like 11, 2011, maybe. That's amazing. I had no idea. Yeah, well, there you go. Fun, yeah, fun fact for either. you. Great, great guy. guy. Great, great guy. guy. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay, question number three. We got to get you on the board here, but I don't know if this is the one that will get you on the board, but I love asking curlers this question. You had a lot of battles against Finland's Marku Usa Pavel, Niemi.
1: You know what? I actually ran into last week in Korea, Usi. Pavanini. Oh, nice. I hadn't seen Usi in years. He, him and I got to be such good friends. But anyway, I saw him uh, just a little over a week ago. I yeah. love that.
0: Uh, spell Usi Pavel
1: Oh, no chance.
0: No <laughs> chance.
1: I have absolutely no chance at spelling Usu Pavel N E I M I at the end. Yeah. U- no, U-U. no, that's wrong,
0: actually. It's N I E M I.
1: So I'm already <laughs> <locked> in the
0: <laughs> But I did see Usi. I haven't seen Marku for a while.
1: Uh, he got in the government there for a while. He was a math genius, uh, Marku. Looked a like a smart enemy. guy. I never knew him, but he yep. looked like a smart dude. They love drinking rye, but it's warm, thick and warm. Oh, yeah. Unreal. That doesn't sound good to me.
0: No. Uh. A, must be a Finnish thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's for the listeners. It's U U S I P A A V A L N I E M I. So there you go. Usi, Pavel, Niemi. All right. Question number four. I think you'll get this one. At the 2009 Olympic trials, you only had one game go to an extra end. Who was it against?
1: Oh, wow. How am I supposed to remember that? <laughs> we lost. We lost to Pat Simmons. That was our only loss. Yeah, I'll give you hints. Not that one. Yeah. <laughs> no, we lost in 10 to Pat. Yeah. Um, hmm. An extra end game. So you see, I kind of delete all this type of stuff. <laughs> If you would have asked Mark Kinney, it was well, Yeah, Kevin will never remember any of this stuff. I'm wondering who I even, who was in it other than Glenn Howard <laughs> and Pat Simon. We lost to Pat and beat Glenn in the final. I know
0: Pat was in it because we lost and I know Glenn was in it because we, we played
1: him in the final. <laughs> who else was even in
0: it? Jeff Stoughton. It was not Jeff Stoughton, unfortunately. Was he in it? Yeah. Uh, oh, I don't know. Was he? He, he must have been, have been in it. Two thousand nine. Uh, it was Kevin Cooey that you lost to in an next. Was it end. Cooey? Okay, yeah, Kevin Cooey. All right, Kevin. We can't have you go zero for five here. So well, you, you, gotta, you, you, you might. You gotta get this last <laughs> question <laughs> right. Yeah. But it might lead to another story. That's true. The, I honestly, I'm just gonna give you points for how good the stories are based on these. Tri- I, I I didn't know I was picking the perfect trivia questions to lead to great stories. But final question at your 18th slam win, which we talked about earlier the 2014 players you finished three and two in the round robin and you had to go to the long way to winning the finals name two of the three teams you played in the playoffs to win once again who was in it um we <laughs> well, played jacobs in the final There you go that's a free one
1: uh, who did we play in the semi though who was kicking around even at the end it would be probably glenn howard it's
0: not glenn howard you beat uh john epping in the quarterfinal and you okay. beat Mike McEwen in the semifinal.
1: McEwen. Yeah. Okay. So there you go. I remember Mike McEwen back when he was a kid in um, one of the slams. A real good curler, obviously. Him and BJ, they're yeah, just coming up and, and making their way. He plays an absolute brilliant game. And they've got, I, I, I hit and roll behind a shag corner. We got maybe half a rock in the eight foot. So he, he hasn't missed a shot. And he has to draw four foot to win. And this was to go into the playoffs at a slam. Yeah. He's got us. Done. Well, that rock is still going like he, it was funny, you know, like it, it was a big day for him. Like he was very young at the time, sure. a big day, Knock off, Kevin, Absolutely has us beat. Oh, and, and we curled good. He, him and BJ were amazing and, uh, we'll miss his last one. And then he started to win slams after that. Remember he, he yes, won quite a few, but that was his first, it always takes kind of a big miss, before you start to win. Minji Kim, there's one too in the world cup events. She had a draw to the eight foot to win. It's still going the next world cup. She has a draw to eight foot to win right on the nail. So it's funny, you know, like uh, you look through the past with all these great curlers. There's that moment where you pooch something that you should never miss, but it teaches you, well, actually that wasn't that bad. I can still breathe. I can still live (laughs) afterwards. So then the next one. You make
0: it. People still care about me. Uh, my, my my wife didn't leave me because I because <laughs> I missed the shot. Yeah, right. uh, it's a great uh, it's a great time. Well, Kevin, look. I mean, you went zero for five, which I did not expect. Which I expected. You didn't expect that. I did. Well, you're out, out here. Oh, in the 1995, 82 <laughs> percent of the red rocks. Uh, this uh, I thought you were gonna kill it. But that man. was in the final. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, like, I got to only ask you about the finals uh, and then fi- your, or or a loss, a big mother. loss. Okay. I'll probably know that. Too, True. But. Good point. Good point.
1: All the other stuff if you tend to delete or i do yeah
0: (laughs) well final final segment of the show it's called the extra end this is where you get a question from my previous guest Uh, my previous guest was reed Carruthers, and he asks you kevin okay if you could play another sport and become a world champion what would it be and why
1: uh, well, I love hockey. As soon as I retired from curling in, in, uh, 2014, I went out and started playing beer league hockey. Yes. So, uh, love, love hockey. Played it as a kid until I had to choose between hockey and curling. So I would definitely pick hockey. I was always a center and, uh, no question. No question. I love it. the game. And
0: yeah. a lot of people don't know this about your son. Pretty good hockey player. Kark.
1: Karik was a really good player. Yeah. He, uh, was forward most of the time, uh, five on five. And then on power play, they'd put him on defense cause he had a pretty good rocket from the from the Cannon. point. And actually, Michaela, who the ball player who's in Buffalo, yep. she had a really good gun from the point. Oh, yeah. yeah. And then Cleisha our middle one, played a lot of hockey. She was really fast skater. So it's kind of, yeah, the whole crew kind of <laughs> grew up with hockey, actually.
0: Well, there you go. We're all, in an alternate universe. I wouldn't even be talking to you. It'd be a curling podcast and you'd be a hockey legend. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much uh, for this. This was uh, an absolute blast. I really appreciate it.
1: <laughs> hey, thanks, John. That was really fun.
0: So there it is, the season is done. Kevin Martin, wow, what a chat! Unbelievable. I'd never thought that trivia would apparently be the key to unlocking uh, some of Kevin's best stories, but that was just an absolute blast, an absolute honor for me to get to sit down with Kevin, and an honor for me to do this uh, all season long, twelve episodes. Uh, the feedback has been outstanding. All of you have been so supportive and, and listening to the show, and. I love it. I I feel so grateful. I want to thank uh, Amal Delich, who was also a part of the reaching out process. Kevin and Jim and Warren. Mike Rogerson, who's been with me producing all of these episodes, recording and mixing them. That's why they sound so great. Griffin Porter and the whole social team at Sportsnet. Uh, Everybody's just been fantastic to me, and uh, this podcast has been a literal dream to do. I hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed doing it over the summer. Uh, Enjoy it get out golfing enjoy the sunshine maybe hit up the cottage some camping whatever it is you do in the summer I hope you have a great time I hope I'll be back with you in the fall in the meantime you can follow me on Twitter at Cullenon curling. I also have a newsletter at CullenOnCurling.Substack.com. Probably won't be updating that too much over the summer, but you never know. Last year, I did a big long form essay on my favorite curling end of all time. You just never know. Sometimes in August, you're sitting around and you're going, you know what? I just got to write about curling. Uh, So yeah, so follow me there. Follow me on Twitter. And yeah, hopefully we'll see you in a couple months. Enjoy the summer. I'm John Cullen. Remember, if you're going to be inside, be way inside. i go.